Hi, everyone. This is Sherry Wright. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics important to you and your family. Today, I think we are talking about a very timely topic, worrying. Actually, we're going to call today's podcast The Art of Worrying, because my guest, Noran Brooklocker, a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness, is going to tell us how we can take our worry and make it into the art of worrying, and maybe some hints and some steps we can take so that we can keep our worrying under control. Mm. It's not like we all don't have enough to worry about, huh, Nora? Oh, goodness. <laughs> There's just so much. There's just so much, yes. Well, and we've, I think uh, the other thing that's timely about this is that we've had, you know, a good year and a half of worrying. I mean, we've, mm. we've, uh, it's, it's not like we haven't had some experience with this topic. And certainly you have the experience with this topic throughout your life, but with the pandemic and then uh, before we started taping, you and Jackie and I were talking about the fires and the smoke. Um, there's just so much about uh, that's happening in the world that causes a sense of worry. But let's, let's get to some real basics. What is worry and worrying? What it seems like it's a natural state. Doesn't everybody worry at some time? Or? Mm. So um, let's start with that definition there. And I, I um, found two definitions that I, I thought were uh, very helpful. So one is a, a little bit more professional from uh, Borkovec, Robinson, Prusensky, Dupree in 1983. And that is worry is a chain of thoughts and images, negatively affect-laden and relatively uncontrollable. It represents an attempt to engage in mental problem-solving on an issue whose outcome is uncertain but contains the possibility of one or more negative outcomes. Um, Consequently, worry relates closely to the fear process. And a more simplified version from dictionary.com defines it as to torment oneself with or suffer from <laughs> disturbing thoughts. So, or <laughs> there we have it. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, is, is it, um, do we all worry? I, I would say yes, to some degree. I, I do think that most people do. And um, Rollo May, he's one of my absolute favorite existential psychotherapists of all time. In fact, I, I named my dog after him. <laughs> um, but he describes anxiety as a necessity of life. Um, too much is paralyzing and too little. We do not get anything done um, as we do not feel that impetus to do so. Um, so I think that there's um, this allowing for us to cultivate the light, life that we want and the desire to live when it's in that right amount of balance. Well, do you think worry helps us make better decisions? If I do this, this would be the consequences and that's not good. And we're, if I do this, and do you think worry plays into decision-making factors? I think that that's what it um, in the brain is intended to do. Um, I think that it is intending to 
move um, in the, to move it from what's called the amygdala, which is your seat of emotion, into the prefrontal cortex, into the medial prefrontal cortex. Um, but what that really means is that we're trying to take it from a very emotional response to now what do I do with this? So I think that it's um, in, intended um, uh, as a survival mechanism, yes. Mm-hmm. How how young do you think children start to worry? Ooh, um, I think that uh, children, it, it, well, it depends on their foundation, right? Because if they have um, a, a little bit of a difficult foundation right from the get-go, then that's how we develop what's called anxious attachment style or sometimes avoidant attachment style, depending on the circumstances of the home. Um, the anxious attachment style it means that the, the child doesn't know if they can rely upon the caregiver or they can rely upon um, things around them, their environment, right? So that can happen really early on um, depending on how young the little one is um, because when we come into the world, we're completely dependent, right? And um, mm-hmm. uh, as we as we get older, then we do have more and more um, uh, understanding or perhaps ability to be able to make sense of it. But even little, little ones um, will display their anxiety, but they won't be able to verbalize it in quite the same way. You know, obviously they're going to cry depending on what, what's occurring for them. And then as children age, then they might be able to put better words to it, but they do start worrying relatively early. Sure. they. Uh, I don't know if worry is the word I'm getting at, but, you know, mom and dad leave to go out to dinner the first time, and uh, the child worries that they may not come back or they worry about them leaving. That seems like more of a natural occurrence. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's go back to the uh, the natural state of this. If worry and fear are sort of interrelated, and then that's not always a bad thing. If 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 I'm understanding what you're saying, sometimes it helps us make the right decision, or it it aids in our ability to move forward in a certain path. Right. Um. So. Uh, again, another role I'll make will quote here, um, and this is from his book, The Meaning of Anxiety. Highly recommend it. It is also extraordinarily dense, so I will say that as well. Um, but he describes um, it as uh, a fear is a reaction to a specific danger to which the individual can make a specific adjustment. But what characterizes anxiety is the feeling of diffuseness and uncertainty and the experience of helplessness towards the threat. So I think that there are times where um, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, they are interrelated. Um, They're definitely operating in similar systems. And again, I think that there's some level at which um, they're intended to be survival mechanisms. Um, I think that fear is 
trying, the brain trying to notice that there's a threat in the environment. Unfortunately, it's not quite able to differentiate entirely between what is an actual physical threat and um, approximating to us right here, right now, versus um, let's say we turn on the news and um, we, we see some horrible event that has just occurred. It still sets us into fight, flight, freeze. Um, however, we feel more helpless in that kind of a circumstance because um, we're not actually able to do anything about it. We're just hearing it, and it's certainly creating a physiological reaction. Um, but nonetheless, we, we, um, that's, I think, when it becomes much more difficult um, is that there is that helplessness feeling that comes along with it. Well, let's, let's take this down to the last, uh, unfortunately, year and a half of COVID. Uh, in the beginning, maybe our worry wasn't quite as much because we didn't know that it would become a pandemic. And then as we saw people getting sick and people dying, then there was the worry that we would get it or our, someone in our family or someone that we loved would get it. Um, and so the worry just sort of snowballed itself and became bigger. Is that, uh, do you notice that with worrying with things, certainly the pandemic and, uh, and different things like that? Yeah, I think that we only have so much bandwidth, and boy, I think so many of us really get that concept now, 18 months or plus into this experience. Um, so on any given day, and let's say it's just quote-unquote normal times, um, there are all sorts of things to worry about, right? And I think in, in uh, this day and age, we have an ability to be tuned into the things that are happening across the globe. And that, I think, is one of the things that sets our um, uh, time apart from prior generations. I think that um, we have to, in some, in some ways, prioritize, I guess you could say, what we're most going mm -hmm. to be worried about, because it's so difficult to be worried about everything that's transpiring mm -hmm. in this world at any given moment. So COVID in particular, I think, um, blindsided quite a lot of us. There were some who kind of started, started to see this happen, and I've expressed before that I heard about the cruise ships, and that was when my worry started to, to um, uh, find a, a seed that, that began growing. Um, I, I felt a sense of uncertainty of like, uh-oh, cruise ships are going to land here and there's some sort of a disease and they don't know what it is? Huh, that's weird. Um, but then it started to grow and grow, and then before you know it, um, we're starting to see these news reports of, of how bad it could be. And I think um, especially when it becomes more personal, when it starts to really affect your own life and uh, affect those that you, you love and care about, um, I, I think that that's when we really begin to be uh, on higher alert. Well, and let's go back to what you said about prioritizing the worry, because that's, that's an interesting concept. I think that maybe a lot of us do that and we don't know we're doing it. We just say, well, I can't worry about what's happening over there because I can't do anything about it. Um, it. But there is a difference between worrying about yourself, about a loved one, about or about someone you don't know. For instance, concern about COVID, about yourself, concern about a loved one, but also then worrying about um, getting the Americans out of Afghanistan. Hmm. For me, there's a 
little bit of a difference between those, though I would say my brain still worries about getting the Afghans that helped us out and the uh, Americans out of Afghanistan. But it's a different kind of worry because it's not personal. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that there are definitely varying levels there. And um, I, I'm going to also throw into the mix here that in addition to worry or um, anxiety, fear, I think there's also grief, bereavement, and this anticipatory grief. Um, Mm -hmm. So, for example, we're seeing this situation happen in Afghanistan currently, and um, it's heartbreaking, uh, just to to say the least about it, because uh, we have been there for the last two decades, and to um, have this sudden flip of the switch where Taliban is now back in control. And I watched a PBS uh, news hour on it, and it felt like the there's this desire to legitimize the Taliban as this new government where um, for the last two decades I have uh, been under the understanding that they are this terrorist organization. And so um, with with this occurring, I feel tremendous grief. And in addition to that um, bereavement for the lives lost, and that would include um, not only uh, the the lives of the Afghanis, um, you know, the the civilians there, but um, our soldiers, and also the soldiers here at home. Um, there has been since 2001, there has been 114,000 completed suicides by our veterans, and there is grief in that too. But then we see this terrorist is- issue unfolding, and so then there's anticipatory grief. That's also anxiety of, well, what's going to happen? What's going to come? to uh, get even closer to us at that personal level here uh, on our ground because we're also approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11 having occurred. So with Mm -hmm. that said, we're witnessing these catastrophic events. We are living in catastrophic times, and I think that we're getting blindsided in so many different respects. So I think that, in fact, some of our um, processing and experiencing of current times is really a very valid and natural reaction to be having. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the things in our daily lives that practically encourage our worrying. Mm. Social media, the news, that would be my opinion. I mean, it, I, you don't hear a lot of good news. You don't hear a lot of good things. You and they the headline is very bold. The uh, you know the tagline is very bold. And if you're coming around the corner and and the tagline is bold, then you're like shocked. Oh my God, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's the immediate thing to worry about because it seems to me that they want that reaction. Sure. Sure. Well, I, I think that um, I I actually really feel for some of the the reporters, um, some of the like the anchors that this is this is their job and they're they're reading these headlines themselves. Um, and you know, I um, having worked with quite a, a number of news professionals uh, over the last couple of years. 
um, I think there's actually also a level of PTSD that some of them feel. Um, you know, the um, reporting on some of these details, it, it's not only hard for us to hear, but there's almost this expectation that they're supposed to say these things without um, having reaction in their own voices to it. And um, I think that while it's really great to be informed, there comes a, a line in the sand that we have to draw. And I will say for myself that I began to notice that my anxiety levels were through the roof just with so much happening. And myself in the position of being a therapist and hearing many of the details that I hear, um, back to that idea of prioritizing, I had to decide where I was going to put my time and attention toward. Um, and I think that's one of the things with, with worry is that it um, is, focused attention, I guess you could say, to a particular problem or issue. And so part of one of the ways that we work with it is by deciding what it is that we're going to try to put that time and attention toward. Um, but when we turn on the news, certainly that draws our attention. But even with, say, smartwatches, for example, I think that we're, we're so connected so there are times where I will also put my phone on the charger, walk away, so that I can mm -hmm. really be very present to my here and now. Um, and that would include, you know, hearing the giggles of my children or remembering what is so good about life and the, the mm -hmm. reasons why we continue forward and do the things that we do. So is worrying really um, a sort of false belief that if, if we worry about something enough, we can control it? Um, I think that that certainly is a part of it. Um, control, of course. You know, when things are uncertain and unsteady, what do we want? Well, we want more control. Um, control, I think, is um, something where when we're, when we're faced with some sort of a fear, then we want to be able to do something about it. And so um, when it comes to um, control, I think that there are these uh, times where we decide that if I prepare myself, if I think about it enough, if I think about all the things that could potentially happen, then somehow, some way, I'm going to be prepared. And um, then we start to get into the territory of what's called, uh, it's a cognitive distortion, and it's called catastrophizing. So um, mm -hmm. there's, uh, it, it's one thing to live in catastrophic times, certainly, but then there's the catastrophizing where we're thinking of the absolute worst possibilities. And I've said it on this podcast before, and this is definitely an uh, apt time to say it again, and that is what also could go right. That's one of the things mm -hmm. we have to counterbalance with that we don't usually think of is what are all the things that could go right? Mm-hmm. Because worrying doesn't necessarily change the outcome. Now, taking action of a different manner can change the outcome, but not necessarily the act of worrying. Mm -hmm. Right. Unless the act of worrying leads us to some sort of action. Sure, sure. Worried, so about, worried about COVID leads me to the action of getting a vaccine. Then I don't sure. worry so much about COVID. That would be an analogy for me. Worried about getting COVID, worried about dying, worried about going on a, a vent, 
-hmm. vaccine comes along, get the vaccine, now my worrying has diminished. Action step. Right, right. Yeah, I remember when I got my vaccine, I just felt my anxiety levels just drop. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I think I should still be anxious about this. I I think I should be more anxious than I do feel. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for some time, in fact, I felt myself be able to recalibrate and um, to come out of that fight, flight, freeze mode and to begin to uh, integrate back into the world, uh, start seeing clients in person once more, start to see friends again. Um, and I think that that's also part of why the mask mandates coming back and um, this new surge has really taken me by surprise. Um, I, I have definitely started to feel my anxiety levels creep back up once more uh, with the understanding that I'm not as protected as I had thought that I was. Um, and I, I think that that's one of those things where, um, you know, I had taken those action steps. And I think that that's part of, you know, when we um, worry about things, um, that's uh, supposed to somehow prevent it, right? But um, the truth of it is it very well might still occur whether we worry about it or not. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we know when we've tipped over into chronic worrying, worrying too much, where it literally is controlling our lives? What are, what are the symptoms of that? So that is when um, I would say it is more anxiety, So um, I've uh, used them perhaps in a way that might be seen as a little bit interchangeable, and I do apologize to our audience for that. But with that said, um, you know, worrying is just thinking about these things and perhaps even ruminating about them. Um, Anxiety, I would say, is when we really begin to feel the physiological uh, experience of it, i.e. the effects on the body. So uh, one example would be tummy aches. Um, or tension headaches. Um, So tummy aches, uh, that is often uh, anxiety, especially with kids. You know, kids will complain that they're having tummy aches, but they're not able to find any uh, reason per se uh, for that happening. Um, And that might be a referral that I end up getting to my office. Um, The reason for that is what's called the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in your body, and it starts very close to the amygdala uh, in the brain. The amygdala I mentioned earlier is that seat of emotion. So the vagus nerve, it travels um, from that limbic portion or very close to it down into the heart and then into the gut. So when somebody says, oh, I have a gut feeling about this, it's, it's, it's very accurate, the, that statement. Um, but because it's an older part of the brain, they're not yet able to put words to it quite in the same capacity. Um, and so we just get these, these stomach aches. So when it becomes chronic, um, it might be that there's something that's happening within us that um, we're not fully um, paying attention to. It might be a tool to let us know that we need to do additional work internally, um, that we need to pay better attention to our self-care. And uh, a friend of mine said, when I noticed that uh, I am worrying for a longer time, it's a signal that I'm experiencing fear and confusion on how to act next. And um, that this is 
where we become the detective in discovery, curiosity, and exploration of our suffering. That was um, my dear friend Matthew Embry McLean who said that. So one needs to do, it sounds like a check-in on their worrying. Is Are, are you uh, waking up at night worrying? Are you not able to get to sleep because you're worrying all the time? I know that there's people, and I've had friends that do a lot of worrying. It's sort of uh, circular. It's like a hamster on a wheel. Now, because nobody knows what we're thinking, and if we don't have outward symptoms of the worry, somebody literally could be caught in that cycle, and you wouldn't know it because they're not expressing it to anybody. They're just in an internal maze of worrying. That happens? Right. Um, You know, I think that that's where there is a very strong possibility of something like OCD developing. So there's the obsession, and then you create the compulsion in order to try to um, mitigate against that obsession. So uh, with COVID, for example, people have developed um, uh, like hand-washing routines, um, Mm -hmm. but almost to the point where their hands are raw. So there's this desire that I am going to not get COVID. I'm obsessing about COVID, so I'm going to wash my hands like every 20 minutes. Um, But then it is almost creating this other issue. Um, But it's somehow satisfying the fear, the anxiety that has developed. Um, And so it is a bit like a a hamster on a wheel um, Mm -hmm. in that I, I think that these things can very much get out of control um, and I think sometimes uh, people might realize that, that this is occurring. Um, so, for example, waking up in the middle of the night or the struggle to get to sleep or the restlessness and trying to get to sleep uh, or staying asleep, excuse me. Um, so one of the things I will say here is that uh, I, I might have given this analogy previously, and I'm sure you and our audience knows by this point, I love my metaphors and analogies, um, oh. but this a particular one is like when we hold a ball underwater, what happens? It pops right back up, and we can try to keep it under, but more often than not, we're expending our energy towards something that inevitably is going to keep coming back up, and it is exhausting. So that hamster on the wheel, they can only be on the wheel for so long. Um, otherwise, they're uh, really doing it to their detriment. So in this case, the ball uh, is representative of those worries, those pesky little thoughts that just keep popping up, uh, the intrusive thoughts, regardless of our efforts to keep it down. Um, And so one of the things I would say here is that it then is choosing to acknowledge the fear, acknowledge the thoughts that keep tugging at us, um, and rather than attempting to shove it down, instead allow it to be. Uh, In other words, uh, be with whatever it is trying to share with us. Um, There's some sort of a value that perhaps we need to look at. Um, So what's the best way to put it? I think that when we're able to really tune into the value that's underneath, for example, um, I am fearing for my life. That's where we are able to see the validity of what it is that we're we're circling around. But more often than not, I would say death is a um, extremely alarming thought process, and most people can become extraordinarily avoidant of going down that rabbit hole of thinking about their own death or the death of a loved one. And it might be that they're there anyway. 
But with that said, um, it's also trying to relay it back to um, what's more the concern. Now, concern is more matter of fact. Um, I think that with concern, it's really looking at um, what we can do towards that problem solving. Um, it becomes really difficult when we can't necessarily solve this problem. So it's focusing then on what is in our control versus what is not. Um, I would say that sometimes it can be really helpful to set a timer, maybe five, ten minutes or more, and allow yourself maybe even to journal, um, to write down the specific things that are happening in your head. And that provides some level of outlet for, for putting it down somewhere, um, putting words to it. Because when we put words to it, I've said it before, it's allowing that truth to hit the air. And that in and of mm -hmm. itself can allow for cessation of the thoughts. Yeah. I was, uh, somebody said to me decades ago, uh, a spoken thought is a managed thought. And I've mm -hmm. never forgotten that. Um, in other words, wow. not let it ruminate in your head. What about friends or family members who are worrying a lot? How can we help them? We're, we're going to talk in a minute about how we can help ourselves with some steps because we have said this is the art of worrying. Um, but what about friends and family that are worrying? What, what is the best way to help them? Another Rollo May quote here, um, well, sort of, he described that it is really difficult to understand the experience of anxiety in another person, especially if we ourselves aren't quite feeling it in the same capacity. And he related mm -hmm. it to encouraging a drowning person to swim, but not realizing that their hands and their feet are tied. So I think that one of the biggest things that we can do for our loved ones is, again, um, to listen first. Um, and uh, there are going to be times where they're in fight or flight, so they're not necessarily going to be able to hear solutions at that particular moment. You know, uh, again, and this is a whole spectrum depending on where the person is mm -hmm. at and how we meet them where they're at. Um, if somebody is in a severe panic attack, then they're not going to be able to hear rational thought in the same way. Um, and so part of that is first attending to getting them out of that panic attack. Um, grounding techniques are really, really helpful. That would include maybe like a heavy blanket. It could be like a, you know, uh, even cooling uh, ice pads. It could be a heat pad. But any one of those are, are going to give that sensation of heaviness that helps. Um, but uh, as well, creating a sensory environment that is much more pleasant, i.e. like lavender in a diffuser or something of that nature. Um, but then we, we go down to that next level where maybe they are just in ruminating thoughts. They're not in panic, but they're, they're perhaps more open to, to discussing things. I don't know that it necessarily always helps to invalidate what they're feeling, um, such as, um, well, this doesn't really matter, or, oh, this isn't really going to affect you, or, well, why do you care that something's happening to this person over, you know, across across the seas? That probably is going to put them more in that defensive, more in that um, where, well, okay, well, you just don't get it phase. Um, and instead what I would say is, wow, you, you really deeply care about this and you're scared right now. That right there is like, oh, yes. 
yeah, I am really scared mm-hmm. right now, and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's figure this out together. What have you tried? And things like that. And it could also be that that might um, be a time for uh, putting to that person, well, I might not know the right answers here, and I might not know how to best support you. Would you be open to maybe talking to a professional about this? And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them per se. Again, they very well might be having a very natural, valid reaction to our current circumstances. Um, and they might be just uh, with adrenal insufficiency, they, they might be having a really hard time self-regulating and not even realize it. Yeah. Well, and certainly in the last year and a half, I think we've, um, I don't know if the word is normalized, reaching out for therapeutic help, but we certainly have uh, a lot of things that say to us that's perfectly normal to do that in situations that we've come up against in the last year and a half. But how do we, how do we know when someone else is worrying is toxic to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the level at which something becomes toxic is, um uh, okay well for example um i i think that there's there's a point in time where perhaps they start um doing things that um infringe upon us as well um i i think for example it's one thing if somebody chooses to be vegan um it's a whole other ball game when you're not even allowed to eat uh your preferred choices of food in front of them and that might be mm-hmm. you know point of respect and i I'm, I'm certainly not trying mm-hmm. to overstep there but with that said you know maybe getting like really angry and lashing out or you know again their control of the situation is to the point where no matter what you do, it's not going to be okay. It's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be right. Um, And again, I think we can have compassion and generosity for that person. Um, Another example would also be if there's a substance abuse issue, um, if there's domestic violence, that inherently would be toxic. Um, And so I think it's how that person chooses to manage those feelings of uncertainty and anxiety um, because, again, fight very well might be uh, a part of it for them. So let's give people, um, before we close, some real concrete steps they can take because we're all worrying. I mean, Mm -hmm. in in different degrees, uh, probably manifesting itself in different ways around the pandemic, probably not all worrying about the same thing, the same with uh, locally the smoke, the fires, what's happening in the world. Um, Help us with some real steps that we can take to calm it down a bit. Right. I think that whether we realize it or not, um, worrying can actually be a form of meditation. So stick with me here. I know that sounds really strange, but meditation (laughs) is focused attention. And when one is worrying, they are focusing their attention to that problem or concern. Um, And one thing that I would say here is uh, I would suggest using maybe mala beads. Uh, Mala beads often have a tassel, and then there's a strand of beads around that. So we begin by holding one bead to one side of the tassel, taking a deep inhale in, deep exhale out. 
next bead. Um, during this time, uh, as we're going through the beads, we can think about the things that are popping up, asking for our acknowledgement and attention. Um, but the beads are that reminder to come back to the breath because that is something that we can control, whereas worries are not. Um, the other thing that I want to say here is that um, worry operates as a mechanism of intended preparation. We've, we've highlighted that today, and um, I've previously described the four stages of change. So a quick recap is pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, and action. Preparation is key to successful action. So while we very much want to prepare for what may or may not happen, there does come that tipping point as described today. And I think that there, there's um, an importance in knowing what it is that you can do, um, what it is that you want to really put your time and effort towards. It's prioritizing what's most important to you. So that might be your own family. That might be your marriage. If you're really noticing that so much is falling apart in the world, then one of the things that you can do is really focus on what's happening around you locally or even in your very own home because those are often the places that we can exert the most of our uh, time, attention, and energy to our best benefit. And it does have a ripple effect, very much so, back out into the world. Well, we said in the very beginning, Nora Ann, we talked about how worrying is a normal process. And I think that was, for me, that's really important to not forget that worrying is normal and that at times worrying can be very productive. And to keep that in mind uh, during all of these things that are happening in the world, is that is that also something that you would recommend for someone? I would say to a point, you know, um, as I described with Rollo May, not having enough anxiety means that uh, we might just coast. We might not really um, try to put our hand to our very own life in terms of making it a life worth living. Having just the right amount of anxiety might mean that we decide to get to the helm of our own ship and begin to direct it in the direction that we hope to go. Now, there might very well be those tumultuous waters that we have to navigate through, but one of the other biggest things that we can do is um, look to to the support around us, um, our family, our friends. Um, we tend to uh, feel that sense of relief when we're able to share the burden with others, you know, that we don't have to shoulder it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes even there's that sense of like, well, what can I do? Well, identify a friend who really needs support um, and maybe do their dishes, help them with their laundry, maybe watch their kids for a couple of hours so that they themselves can sleep. It's that community care aspect. Um, we're not necessarily out for ourselves. We're here in it together as a village looking out for one another, and that's how we get through tough times. Okay. I think one of the things that I'm taking from this is I don't usually say to somebody I'm worried about. I may process and say things like uh, about the pandemic or uh, conversational things. But one thing I'm getting again uh, from what you're saying is that it's just fine and it's productive to say to somebody in your life that you trust, 
I'm worried about and to mm-hmm. enroll someone else in that conversation so that we're not left on our own devices with it. Does that make sense? Because I'm really getting that from our conversation. I I absolutely would say that's, that's wonderful. I will add one thing, and that is to say, um, hey, can, are you in a good space to have this conversation? Uh-huh, I'd like yes, to share yes. with you where, where I'm at and what I'm feeling, but if you're not in a good space for that, could we maybe schedule another time to talk? So it's always giving that person the opportunity um, because if they can devote that full attention to you, I think that um, that's going to be a lot easier for them than, say, if they're trying to rush out the door um, or they have something mm-hmm. else going on. Um, mm-hmm. And, again, it might be to the extent that we then share that with a professional where there are parameters set up very specifically so you can share those worries with somebody. Um, and I, I think that uh, family members as well, more often than not, they want to know what's going on with you. When we're trying to just tough it out or do it ourselves, you know, oftentimes that leaves them in the cold and wondering what's going on because they seem like their brows furrowed. I, I can see that they're, they're having a really tough time. These other things are happening around them, but are they okay? And more mm-hmm. often than not, family members want to know. They want to know what's going on and if there's some way that they can be of support, even if it is listening. Well, I think this has been uh, very enlightening, uh, Nora Ann. I know that I've gotten a lot out of it, and I hope that everybody listening has. Uh, we've been talking about worrying, certainly something that we're not immune to and something that we've um, probably had a lot of in the last year and a half. So if uh, this podcast resonates with you, please pass it on to somebody else because we're all in this together and we're all worrying. Thank you, Nora Ann, for being a part of this podcast. Nora Ann Brooklocker is a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. As always, thank you, Nora Ann, for being a part of our podcast. And uh, we will come back to you in a couple of weeks. That sounds great, Sherry. Thank you again for having me. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For a list of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And please um, get a vaccine. I think you all know by now that I'm pro-vaccine. If you can get one, please do. Wear your mask. And remember, we're all in this together and we're all doing the best we can. 